So Dallas Willard said that there are four questions, everyone in some way or another, whether they even aware of it or not are asking. First question is what is reality? Second question is who is well off or as we would say blessed? The next one is who is a really good person, a truly good person? <clears throat> and finally, how does one become a good person? Now, this may sound like academic jargon from a philosophy professor, which it is, but that doesn't mean there isn't something here for us to chew on. And I want to give particular attention to that last question. How does one become a truly good person? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but the gap between the person I want to be and the person I think I should be and the person I really am kind of grows larger the older I get. And even on my good days, when I think I'm not doing that bad a job at being a good person, I look around and see a whole lot of people that think they're okay living in ways and saying things that are definitely not okay. Last week, Tim Holland did an outstanding job of outlining where we are in this great big God story we call life. He reminded us that we're not, by any stretch of the imagination, the heroes of the story. That while God made us image bearers, we're not the image itself. And also, though, while we're not the center of the story, we're still part of the story. And once we kind of figure out what the story is about, and that's reality, that's the first question, reality. What is this story about? And who the good guys and bad guys are, that's kind of who's blessed and who's the good person. We have to ask ourselves, how do we get to be one of the good guys, the one of the people who's blessed? And here's the rub. You see, in this whole thing, we're jumping into this story midstream. The world is already spinning. It doesn't start or end with us. We, we are inserted into this ongoing story. We're already in it, and we're already in the process, even before we're conscious of it, of becoming one kind of person or another. So much of our formation takes place even before we're aware that we're being formed. We're, we're starting off halfway through the story, as it were. Another way to say this is we're all being formed by something or some things. We're all following someone or someones. Formation happens. We're all being formed into something, into someone. Following Jesus now is the intentional commitment to the process and practices being formed into what it means to be a good person, a person who ultimately flourishes. Now, now not a perfect person or a successful person or a person who avoids suffering or setbacks but the kind of person who understands what is real, knows what is good, discerns what is true, adores what is beautiful, a person who knows the story, follows the hero of the story, and lives rightly into the story. Now, if we were to put this into theological language, we might describe the process something like this. Spiritual formation is our continuing intentional response to the reality of God's grace shaping us into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the community of faith 
for the glory of God and for the sake of others. This is the process of becoming a good person, becoming the person who flourishes. And it's that intentional response that I want to really hone in on today. You know, Eugene Peterson paraphrased Paul's take on it this way in the message. He said, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into everything without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking out of the depth of gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misrepresent represent yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. You see, Paul understood clearly that the Roman, the people that he was writing to in Rome were being formed. They were either going to be formed by the culture, formed by the things around them. And really that didn't take a lot of intention. You just go along, right? And I love the way he says, it. he says it drags you down to their level of immaturity. But living intentionally before God takes effort. It takes practice, right? And he, and he says, this is the way that we do it is we think of our lives as this offering to God. So what does it take to live this kind of life? A life of intentional response to the reality that we find in Jesus. Well, we all like to think that, oh, once we get it, once we get the information, it'll just happen. Or we'll just choose it in the moment. I, so I, I worked in Houston right um, in my younger years before I moved here to Northwest Arkansas and, and ran a restaurant there. And the Astros baseball, we go to the Astros baseball game quite often. And it was during that time I would have these reoccurrent dreams. And, and I hesitate to use sports analogies on Sunday mornings, but I'm just, this is personal to me, is that I would have this dream that I would walk out and they would be having batting practice for the Astros. And someone would turn to me and say, hey, you want to take a try? And I would say, okay, sure. And I would step into the batting cage, Major League Baseball. Now, listen, I didn't play baseball past being 10 years old. But they would start pitching, and I would just start knocking dingers left and right. I mean, just launching baseballs over the wall, the outfield wall in the Astrodome. And this dream was exhilarating, of course. I mean, just wake up feeling like superhuman that I'd had this dream. And it was an awesome dream, but that's all that it was. Because I can tell you later in life, when I went to a batting cage, 
not like facing major league batters, but just a simple batting cage on the lowest thing. I'm a, I'm horrible. Like I can't hit a ball to save my life. I don't know what it is. Never been good at it. And uh, so the reality and the imagination were very different. I think a lot of us live in such a way that we think the dream is true, that, that in any given situation, if we are called upon to deliver, that just by sheer willpower, we can do it. And the reality is much more like me in the batting cage, is that if we haven't practiced, if we haven't committed to the process, we're going to strike out every time. Dallas Willard says, the secret is not trying. The secret is training. He also went on to say this. He said, as a disciple of Jesus, I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything in the manner that Jesus did, all that Jesus did. You see, it takes practice, intentional, disciplined, consistent practice. Now, thank God we're not alone in this process. I don't want you to get the idea that, hey, your success rises or falls just on your own efforts, because it doesn't. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship says it's only because he became like us that we can become like him. We can do this because of the one who has called us, equips us, encourages us and gives us the ultimate example. But we have to remind ourselves what it's not. Just more information isn't going to do it. In our teaching planning this week, Becky talked about how, um, she said, I can become the most informed person and still not be equipped to help people, especially if I can't get out of bed. Just more information isn't going to do it. Laura talked about how the theoretical is much easier to engage with than the practical. And it overwhelms us sometimes. Just wishing things were going to change also doesn't help us. Alex talked about feeling like a pebble just pushed along in the stream sometimes. You just can't wish it into existence. Y'all, it's not going to happen by magic spells, overnight makeovers, snake oil shortcuts, or mountaintop emotions. It takes intentional training, discipline, directed practice in the community of others. We can't do it alone, in the community of others. It's what Nietzsche and later Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Now, this has risk with it. Inherent to it are risk. We're going to commit to this process, even if it means getting lost along the way. Uh, Becky Irvin said again, she said, we have to navigate ourselves even at the risk of getting lost. We can't rely on just the emotion and feeling because most of the days it's just not there, y'all. It's not there for me. I don't wake up every morning feeling like I should do this or I can do this even or I want to do this. I can't rely on just those immediate emotions. Laura shared with us in our teaching team about this book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And I love that imagery of fermentation. The author Kreider says, fermentation is gradual. Except for the stray bubble that emerges now and then, nothing seems to be happening. 
happening until late in the operation, it's unimpressive. That's how it is, I think, with so much of our disciplines, so much of our intention is, it's just not impressive. We don't see immediate results with that. He talks in his book, he uses the example of the early church, where Cyprian writes this. He wrote, Cyprian responded to the crisis of, of the plague the early church faced by urging the people to live lives marked by the habits of patience, trusting God, living without being able to control the outcome, living unhurriedly, living unconventionally, loving their enemies. In response, Christians did all did good for all kinds of people, not merely for those of the household of faith, which broadly expanded their witness. Even though it can seem at times like focusing on spiritual disciplines and formation is individually focused, when we act out of what we're learning and becoming, the ripple effect to our community and to the world is great. The last thing we have to avoid is to remember that even if this intentional commitment to formation, it's going to mean we don't always get our way because we're immersed in and committed to the crazy, confusing, frustrating, demanding community of others that don't look like us, smell like us, like the same things the same way we do, may not even speak the same language or heaven forbid vote like us, but that community is the church. And we immerse ourselves in that community wholeheartedly, risk taking a risk to do it because that's where this formation really happens. I want to take a minute just to speak to the current, the current crisis or predicament or whatever you want to call it, situation that we're all finding ourselves in here in the United States. I've been meditating, thinking a lot about this. You know, we're not here by accident. The current health crisis, climate crisis, political crisis, racial crisis, economic crisis, name your crisis, didn't just happen. All of these things are largely the result of our collective choices, of allowing ourselves to be formed by the wrong things, of failing to really commit to being formed by and practicing our faith. This current conflagration of crisis is much more relevatory than causative. Our, our distress and our unease is not caused by the crisis, it's revealed by the crisis. And that's a formation problem. That's a problem of intention. So I think we need to really stop and ask ourselves, individually and collectively, what is forming us that led us here? What is forming me? What is forming you? Once we recognize those things, we need to intentionally choose to practice the things that lead us closer to Jesus. Not just for our sake, but also for the sake of the world. Now, one of the ways we're doing this here at Grace Church is we've been engaged, a number of us, in the Erebon study on how we can become immersed in the project of racial reconciliation, how we can work to make the church more reflective of the kingdom of the gospel with this. 
but what's it going to take for it not to be just more information, another study that we did and can give ourselves a gold star for another isolated experience? Because God help us if it is. You need to know we're committed to taking action in this area of committing to the practices of reconciliation as a church. Now, what that looks like is still being formed and will always be in need of adjustment, but our intention is set. So what comes next? What comes next for you, for me, for all of us? Well, it's going to take making an intentional commitment to the practice of spiritual formation. Now, again, some of us are, most of us are doing some of this in some ways. This is not starting from a blank slate. Like I said at the beginning, we've all jumped into the story midstream. But this Sunday, this week, I want us to stop and, and ask those questions. What is forming us? What are the practices that we are have given ourselves to intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or unconsciously. And make the adjustments that we need. Make the, make the intention to make the practices of spiritual formation individually and corporately a priority in our lives. And that's where we're going to be talking about this fall is what do those look like? What are those practices? Practices that have been engaged in by the church for generations. Because without that intention, without that commitment, we're not going to get very far. And we're just going to get, keep getting more of what we already have. Well, we'll talk about that more next week. Like I said, we're going to meet up at Mount Sequoia, Vespers Point. And I hope you'll be there. And I hope you'll take time this week to reflect on this. Meet with someone. Talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to someone you trust. What are the practices that are you're going to need to engage in as we go forward? We're going to transition now to communion and reflection. As we do each week during this time, um, we respond to what's been sung, what's been said, what's been heard by the Spirit in each of us. We do that by taking communion together. We do that by giving our offering. Our offering is a sign that none of us is without something to give, and none of us is without need. We share together. That's part of our practice. That's part of one of these intentional practices we're talking about. But also we reflect, is this just going to be more information? Or is there something that the Spirit has been speaking to you that you need to act on? Now is the time to to make your intention to do that, to follow through. Write it down, tell someone, but don't just let it slip by. Don't think that you'll just remember it in the moment. You won't. I think that's why Jesus gave us the practice, or one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the practice of communion. It was something tangible, something substantial, something that we would do with regularity to be reminded. Reminded that this gift has been given to us. We didn't earn it. We don't keep it by our works. It was a gift then, it's a gift now, and it will always be a gift. The gift of life. The gift of salvation. The gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness. 